Well, hey, ASM, it's so good to be back here with all of you. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Adam. I'm one of the ASM interns here at Alderwood. And we're just gonna jump right into our passage today. We've got a lot to cover in John 6, but before we do that, I'd really like to pray for us before we start. Let's do that now. Hey God, thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to get into your word and really understand it. Lord, thank you for providing us with your word, that we have the opportunity to get to know you more, that we would be focused on the provision and life and joy that you provide rather than what we can do for ourselves. Lord, I pray that the, that would be our posture as we start to look into this passage and hear what your word is telling us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So our big idea for this passage in John today is that Jesus is the truth that we need, not the answer that we want. And I'd like to start with what is painting, hopefully, a very familiar picture. Imagine you're eight years old, you've just got done playing after a hot summer day, you're just winding down for the day, and all of a sudden, you hear this music getting louder and louder as it approaches your neighborhood. You already know what it is, you freak out, it's the ice cream truck. You rush outside, you grab all the money to your name, which is probably like seven bucks at the time, but most importantly, you see all of your neighbors run after this ice cream truck with you. And that's essentially where we're starting off here in this passage. Jesus has amassed this huge group of followers from the signs and wonders that he's performed. And when I say huge, think of a modern day crowd filling up Century Link Field. Everybody's looking for something to eat because I mean, they've been out for a while, they're getting hungry, and all they've got to go around is a couple loaves of bread and some fish from a kid that they found. But watch what Jesus does here in verse 11. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. I'm sure that all of you have probably heard this story at least once or twice, but I really want you to think about what it was like for the people that were there. Think of the ice cream truck again real quick. Imagine this whole group of people and you are rushing to this ice cream truck, you get there, and all the guy has left is seven ice cream bars. But somehow, he just keeps handing them out to you until everybody is satisfied. I'd be pretty stoked about getting something to eat, but I'd be more impressed that there's this magical ice cream man who is able to give out infinite free food. And that's exactly what the people in this passage are thinking about right now. In fact, they're so blown away by what just happened to them that they wanna make Jesus a king on the spot with no questions asked. They're probably thinking about the possibility of all-you-can-eat garlic bread, and to be honest, I don't blame them. It's hard to pass that one up. But as soon as that happens in verse 15, as soon as they start to idolize Jesus' earthly ministry, Jesus leaves the scene immediately. Because here's the thing, Jesus wasn't there to entertain their desire for an earthly ruler. Jesus performs this miracle as a sign that he is the divine provider, and that his provision completely satisfies. That not only was any, everyone full from the bread, there were more loaves left over. The provision went beyond expectation. And it gets even crazier than that, because after everybody is fed and once Jesus has retreated, his disciples, the, the core group, leave to cross a nearby lake for a place called Capernaum. They're about halfway across the water at the time when Jesus arrives for his second magic trick. It was dark out at the time, the water was getting pretty choppy, and the disciples were probably a little worried about their likelihood of making it to the other side, when all of a sudden, I want you guys to picture this in your head, they see a figure from the distance as it draws closer to them. And they realize that Jesus is walking on top of the water, 
all the way to their boat. He tells them in verse 20, don't be afraid. He calms the waters and all of a sudden the disciples are at the other side of the lake already. So once again, Jesus proves that he can perform supernatural works. And at surface value, Jesus displays himself as God. But I want you guys to understand that this story is also about provision. Instead of displaying it in a physical manner like he did with the bread, Jesus provides for his disciples through peace and comfort in a supernatural way that nobody expected and that nobody had experienced before. And there, there's so much in these two miracles that I wish we could get into more and dissect, but Jesus gets to, at something so important in this next passage that that's where I want to spend most of our time today. Because these miracles were merely a, a means to a greater end, a picture of the message he was actually getting at. Jesus provides us with the words of life here. And that's the real supplication that we're gonna focus in on today. Because here's the thing, Jesus is after the greater need of your heart. His purpose on this earth transcends the expectations of those around him in this passage. And if we look at this story and marvel at how cool Jesus is just because he can walk on water, just because he can give away a bunch of free food, we've really missed his intentions entirely. Because while Jesus cared about the physical well-being of his followers, and that was done through his works. He wanted them to understand the greater need that his miracles weren't meant to fulfill. After this group of people has followed him to the other side of the lake, watch what Jesus says here, starting in verses 26. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So here's where we're at right now. This crowd is a big fan of the free food Jesus, the fast food Jesus, and they know that he's somehow associated with God, but they fail to understand that Jesus is not there to entertain their earthly wants. He's after a much greater eternal satisfaction and joy that they can't seem to see. This crowd is like the students that stay for the first half hour of ASM for the people and the food, and they leave right as the message starts because they don't want that part of the church. Having their fill of physical bread was this crowd's ideal perception of Jesus' ministry. But look how Jesus describes the miracles that he just performed. They're signs. They weren't there to make everybody happy. They were there so that you and I may believe that we have reason to believe that Jesus is the one and has life in abundance. He's showing us that chasing after anything else in life is pointless because nothing can provide us with life in the way that he does. And I want to make one thing really, really clear here. There is a huge difference between eternal joy and mere happiness. Happiness is a dopamine rush to the brain, and unfortunately, it doesn't really last that long. It can, it can come from a lot of things, a good cup of coffee, a new pair of shoes, or seeing Curtis beat Mitchell in ping pong. And in no way is happiness a bad thing at all. In fact, it's a great thing. But when we expect our happiness to fulfill our craving for joy, we are wasting our time. And that's the problem that Jesus is trying to point out here. Because joy is a deep-rooted happiness, inspired by the contentment that we receive from God's provision. And while these people wanted a political ruler and were happy with Jesus as the free food guy, Jesus pushes them to realize that the pleasures on earth were never created with the intention of bringing a satisfaction and joy. And he cautions these people from putting their trust into that food that spoils. 
I think this is a really familiar concept to a lot of us. Back when I was in high school, I had so many friends who were incredibly dedicated to working out. So dedicated, in fact, that I can tell that the way that they talked about working out, the way that they viewed their time lifting, that it had started to be a new religion for them. The gym had become their place of worship and all of their hope and trust was placed into being able to lift more and being involved in that culture and dedicating all of their time, energy, and thoughts into that. It had completely enveloped their attention and their focus. And what had started from setting healthy goals and creating healthy habits had turned into something a lot deeper. And it made me wonder what the end goal of working out really is. It made me question my own intentions for it. But ultimately, it made me realize this. We will always find something to worship. Whether it's God or something in this world, something has to take that place in our minds. And ultimately, God is the only way to have joy. In the same way, when we rely on our social media to bring us happiness and fulfillment, we soon realize that the rush that we get from looking at it doesn't last very long. When we expect a government to bring us to utopia, we're always going to be let down because the fact is we're going to be led by broken people no matter what. And when we enter a relationship, we, when we expect a boyfriend or girlfriend to fix our contentment crisis, we enter the relationship with an expectation of fulfillment and completeness that no person was ever meant to meet. See, our earthly desires don't satisfy because they were never meant to. We weren't created to be satisfied by the things of this world. We were created with eternity set in our hearts, and we often try and fill that with anything but God. So the question now is this. What are we supposed to do with our lives? How do we have life? What brings us satisfaction? How do we get this food of eternal life that Jesus is talking about here? Let's look at verses 35 through 36 to see what Jesus has to say. Verse 35, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never grow hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. Jesus is saying here that there is one way to have joy, and it is him. We won't have to look for more out of our lives because we've been fulfilled. We've received life to the fullest when our lives point to Jesus. When it comes down to it, we're all just beggars looking for bread to fill us up, and Jesus is proclaiming himself here as the whole loaf. Why would we want to try and look for anything else when we have the source right in front of us? Unfortunately, these followers have seen what Jesus has offered, but they're having a hard time taking that step of belief, commitment, and sacrifice. And here's why. There's nothing that we can do to satisfy ourselves in the way that Jesus does. And that goes against every single earthly instinct that we have. Our culture is reliant on the idea that working toward whatever makes you happy leads to completeness and to fulfillment. That indulging every single earthly desire that we have makes us whole. And Jesus points that out here as a lie, teaching us that faith rests on the truth, that there is something greater than the things of this world that will bring real joy and real life. I want to go back from a, to a dialogue from a couple verses back so we can better understand this. When the people are asking what works they need to accomplish to get to God, Jesus answers them by saying that the work of God is not something we live up to. It's by belief alone. We need someone else to provide for us. And that leads us to our next point, that the truth of Jesus is offensive. Let's look back at something for a second here. Jesus responds with, in verses 28 through 29, this is right after 
He's pointing out their shallow perceptions for following him. Verse 28. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the work that God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. There's one way, and that's it. Nothing else works. True provision comes through faith in Jesus alone. And there's nothing that we can create, no works that we can do that will lead us to life except by belief in a savior that provided life for us. One of the biggest differences between a relationship with Jesus and any other faith is this. Every other religion in the world relies on some form of works-based salvation. It puts man on an equal playing field with God and gives them credit for their own salvation. And the way of Jesus is this, that mankind is so inferior to God that there is no way we could get close to him on our own. There is no way that man could have invented a religion like this because man is too prideful to accept the fact that we can't do it on our own. We want some of the credit for our life and our joy. We want the kingdom without the king, the ability to have joy without anyone else's help and for it to be in our own terms. And when Jesus points out that idea to this crowd, it hits the followers pretty hard. After their dialogue, watch the reaction to Jesus' teaching in verse 60. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. And right after Jesus says this, it's written that many of the followers leave him and his disciples. When Jesus starts speaking truth that isn't as attractive as that free bread he was just giving out, the crowd has a hard time continuing to follow him. It's like a bunch of fake fans leaving CenturyLink Field when they've been faced with the reality that they don't want to support the team they've been bandwagoning on because it comes with the cost of facing their own personal problems. And guys, this is a message that is not hard to understand, but it's so hard to accept. And yes, it is offensive. No one wants to hear that their way of life doesn't work, that their lives are meaningless without Jesus. So as we draw to a close, here's where we're at. We've known Jesus as the provider. We've seen what he can do. We've seen the under- and understand the fulfillment that he offers. And no matter how much it damages our pride, we need to know that we need help from something greater because we can't do life on our own. And I want you to really be honest with yourself here. Do you seek fulfillment from what you can provide yourself? Or do you want to understand what God has done to provide for you? Are you looking for joy in places where it doesn't exist? If so, it's my prayer for you to know that Jesus has come as the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through him. There's no better foundation upon which to build your life. And with that being said, there are three questions that I really want you guys to think about as I'm closing this out here. Number one, where do you look for fulfillment in your life? Number two, how does Jesus' statement as the bread of life change your perspective on him? And finally, why do you follow Jesus? Or why don't you? As we're thinking about those questions now, I really want to pray and close this out. God, thank you so much for the time that you've given us here. God, thank you for giving us, giving us hard things to wrestle with. God, you, 
we know that this life was not meant to be easy, that there's supposed to be struggles in this life, but Lord, thank you for coming as provision, as life, that we may look to you and have joy, that we would have something to look forward to despite our struggles here on earth, that we would look to you for provision. God, it's my prayer that as we're going about this week, this month, and this year, that our hearts would be set on you, that our feet would be set on your footsteps, Lord, that you would always be our focus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, thanks guys, that's all I got for today.